there are good reasons to have kids, but I don't think any of those reasons will ever really resonate with me. Hi, I'm Anna Olson, and you're listening to We're Not Kidding, a podcast devoted to sharing stories surrounding the child-free life. As a life coach, I'm passionate about helping women feel confident and empowered in their choice not to have children. And I believe that by sharing our stories, we help break the stigma. So let's dive in. This episode does contain mention of medical procedures, so very squeamish listeners beware. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm really excited. Today's guest is Zoe, who I just want to tell, like, I consider it a meet cute story, even though I know that that's like reserved for romantic meetings, but I think that it should be expanded to friends and and all sorts of fun meetings. So Zoe and I met because we think alike. (laughs) She created a blog, which some of you may know it's called Not Kidding Blog. And after she named it. She reached out to me on Instagram and had a cute message to me about, Hey, like we named our podcast and blog similar things. And, and from there we got to know each other and then she joined the link club. And now I just feel like I've known you forever. Zoe. it's been really, really fun to get to know you. And I do like our, our meet cute story. I'm going to keep using that. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. Let's expand it to friends for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. And it's been really fun to get to know your child-free story and even more that has come with it. So um, yeah, I just want to say thank you for being here today. Well, definitely. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm not like trying to flatter you just like uh, objectively. Your podcast is probably my favorite podcast. So I'm like super excited to contribute to that in whatever way I can. Thank you. That really means a lot. I appreciate that. (laughs) So I guess I'm curious if you want to start, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and yeah, we'll just start from there. Yeah. Um, my little Instagram blurb, like I'm 30, I've been married to my husband for about six years. We have two corgis. We live in Kentucky and I started my blog at I think the beginning of August. So it's pretty new. It's hard to, you know, talk about yourself just free form, but But yeah, I just, I live kind of like a simple little life in our little town in Kentucky and, you know, go for a lot of walks and all that. So yeah, um, Yeah. I'm excited to be a part of the online child-free community and including Wink Club and Instagram and that sort of thing. It's been really rewarding already. And I feel like I have learned so much from you and your journey, which we'll get into, but it's so exciting whenever anyone feels willing to to be so open and forward about talking about being child-free and just like expanding that conversation and and being another voice. So thank you, because I think it's really important. I mean, you're a very talented writer and- Yeah, yeah. I, I love writing and I always have. So I, I just had all these little ideas swimming in my brain. I was like, I've just got to start a blog and write little articles about <laughs> what I think about. But it's really nice to be in the online space because I, I'm lucky enough to have a couple of child-free friends in real life, but they don't always want to discuss it as a topic. We're just kind of like living our lives child-free, but it's nice to have a space where people have it on the brain and want to discuss the challenges and that sort of thing. So I'm just happy to be involved in all of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That is interesting to think about with friends. Like if you have child-free friends in your life, not everyone does want to be like talking about this stuff all the time, which I mean, I am one of the people who does want to be talking about it all the time. So it is nice to have (laughs) those outlets to do so and not... Um, drive our friends crazy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I try to rein it in sometimes, but I did have a conversation with a friend from college that I hadn't talked to in in depth in quite a while. And she mentioned, oh, I have a new niece and now I'm using her as a way to suss out if I want kids. And I was like, oh, if, if you want kids <laughs> and kind of like went, you know, told her like, oh, that's a big decision. And we don't like we're not going to have kids. And actually that led to a really fruitful conversation that I was in no way expecting to have, but I tried to rein it in a little bit and not be like, you know, join the child free movement now. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I just love hearing that when conversations like that take place, you know, I'm sure that maybe for her, it was really nice to have someone to speak to who wasn't all like, yeah, you got to have kids. It's the best thing ever, (laughs) you know? Yeah, well, she did seem surprised. She was like, oh, really? Can you tell me more about that? It seems like everybody our age is having babies, not, you know, not even just considering whether or like prepping, like they're having babies right now. (laughs) So it was nice to have that conversation with her and like find out that, you know, there are other people who are going through that. And I feel like I can help people who are on the fence. And, you know, that's always rewarding, whether or not they choose to be child-free. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So I guess I'm curious, was there a moment that you first remember knowing that you didn't want kids? What was that experience like for you? So I never really wanted kids. I know there are a lot of stories where people say, I thought I was going to have two kids forever. And then I kind of second guessed it and decided, oh, that's not for me. I never wanted kids and then kind of had the inverse experience where in 2020, I was just in a dark place for obvious reasons. And I considered having them for the first time in my life, really. And it really ended up just, I think it was a great experience, even though I was questioning, you know, part of my identity and it really cemented it for me. And that was when I I knew like, oh, I do want to be child-free and this is a big part of my identity and I need to go on this path. But at the time I really missed my family, you know, COVID was going on and we weren't seeing anybody. We were possibly the most serious people about social distancing that I knew. So we were very isolated and I felt like there was no next step. So it felt like an easy out to say, well, the next step would be to have a baby and I miss my family. My body can make a family. And I recognized even at the time that the reasons I was considering it were not very good. (laughs) There are good reasons to have kids, but I don't think any of those reasons will ever really resonate with me. Even at the time I was writing in my journal, I don't feel called to be a mother. Mm. And I had to look back at my pro-con list and all this stuff and looked at it and I was just like, this doesn't make sense for me. And it just reaffirmed that. So that was the pivotal experience for deciding to be child-free. But I had been saying I'm never going to have kids since I was a teenager. People didn't know about that either, except my husband, pretty much. Because I was like, if I'm going to decide to change my mind, I don't want to say, oh, I'm thinking about it. And people say, oh, I told you so. You changed your mind. And so I, I decided I needed to work through it first before I ever shared it with anybody. So it was a very isolating experience as well. But like I said, it was really good for me, I think, in the end, even though it was an angsty experience. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. And actually, there's someone else who I I actually worked with in coaching who the pandemic was a dark time, you know, for I think most of us, if not all of us. And for her, she was someone who always knew she didn't want kids. But then the idea of having kids was just something that she was looking for hope in the world again. And so that idea came to her too. And then ultimately, like you, she she came back to realizing, no, I don't want kids. But it is interesting how such a unprecedented time in our lives like that can kind of shake us to the core or, you know, have us contemplating things that we hadn't before in, in yeah. different ways. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I was like, well, you know, maybe society has a point. And then I kind of thought about it. And I was like, mm, society doesn't have a point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So it was a few months in 2020 and kind of lingered on maybe a, a little bit into late 2020. But it was a very intense few months where I was considering having a baby. And um, I'm glad I went through it. But at the time, I would not have told you that I was glad that I was going through it. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a little distance from those moments to <laughs> appreciate them. <laughs> <laughs> And what was your husband's reaction or how did he respond to that? Has he always been someone who didn't want kids or where does he stand? And how so did that work? I don't want to, you know, like put words in his mouth. He did want kids. Actually, when we met, he was 
you know, thinking that he wanted the like wife and kids and white picket fence. And he mm-hmm. kind of has most of that now, minus the kids. But I remember even at the time I was kind of attracted to him, but I was like, we will never work because he wants kids. And then we were like best friends for years. Okay. And then closer to when we did get together, he was reconsidering that and questioning it and had some thoughts about his own parents and where that fit in and everything. So he had kind of decided that he didn't. But I think if he had been with someone who wanted kids, he like kind of could have gone either way. Mm -hmm. So when I was questioning it, he was just supportive of whatever I wanted to do pretty much. Yeah, I am very blessed. I I didn't discuss a lot of it with him at the time because I was like, this has to be my decision. I can't do it because I think I'm like thinking, oh, maybe it'll make him happy or whatever. So I definitely made this decision by myself. That was important to me, but he was just supportive of whichever way I had decided. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's really cool. Yeah, he's great. I am very lucky. (laughs) (laughs) From other conversations we have had, it sounds like you are just a really good match. Yeah. Like I said, when we met, I think we were not. (laughs) It like took some time, but then like we became right for each other and everything came together. So anything that has happened in my life, I don't really regret anything because I'm like, oh, it led to the life I had now. Mm. And I love my life with the, you know, the little corgis and <laughs> my wonderful yeah. husband. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's such a healthy perspective to have is to be able to appreciate even the hard moments in life and see how they led you to where you are now. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky that I have the life I have and that I feel that way too. So Anyone who who follows your blog or your IG account will already know that you recently went through the process of sterilization. So you came to a place of deciding to make this permanent, the child-free choice. And so can you walk us through how you made the decision first of all? So I was considering it shortly after I had that experience I just described where I was like, I really gave parenthood its chance. I was like, all right, convince me I'm ready. And it didn't. So then when I had reaffirmed that I wanted to be child free, I started thinking about that. Um, I had a Mirena IUD. I was on my second one and it was due to be replaced this year. So in 2020, I started thinking, do I want to get another IUD? I had a pretty good experience with it overall. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I'm I'm grateful that it exists and that I had it, but I was like, do I want to get another IUD and keep doing that until menopause, I guess, (laughs) or do I want to get sterilized and like maybe experience my body without hormones for the first time in my life and not have to worry about the expense because both times I got IUDs, I had to pay several thousand dollars out of pocket because of technicalities. Oh my gosh. The first time I was very thorough, I got a letter and everything saying this is covered 100%, blah, blah, blah. And it turns out that the device itself came from a pharmacy that was out of network. And nobody could have told me that as far as I know. So that was a surprise. And I had to pay for that. And then the second time I was on insurance with a religious organization, which is kind of funny because I'm a pretty avowed atheist. (laughs) So they didn't cover any kind of contraception. So I paid for that one completely out of pocket and that was terrible. So the surgery is expensive, but it was kind of a financial consideration because my insurance is really good right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but I was still going back and forth. I have a lot of medical phobias and especially blood draws and IVs and anything to do with like needles and veins and it's just icky. So I was going back and forth and I was like, well, you know, the IUD has served me well and, you know, I don't have periods and that's great. And, you know, just back and forth. And then three different people actually that I discussed it with said the same thing pretty much. It was one of my child-free friends, one of my in-laws and my husband And I told them, I'm trying to decide between these two options. And all three of them said, well, what's stopping you? And I realized that it was basically squeamishness 
Mm. Um, because I didn't want to face those fears. And I hadn't had, I hadn't even had a blood draw since maybe before college. Right. <laughs> I, I'm 30. <laughs> so it was kind of a fraught decision. But in the end, that question, what's stopping you? The only thing that was stopping me was fear. And I decided it's important to me. It affirms my identity. It's something that I've got to get over. So then I decided that I wanted to do it, which took me to the, the point of all the research I did and trying to get approved and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I have had the easiest experience of anybody I've ever read about, just about. Really? Uh, yeah. So I had an OBGYN who did my Marina last time. I did not like her very much. I think mm. she didn't want to do an IUD because she thought I would want to have kids sooner than five years from then. Oh. So she didn't outright say that, but I just kind of got the vibe. I didn't like her very much, but I just needed my IUD. So I was like, whatever. Yeah. And so this time I was like, okay, I'm going to choose a doctor from the child-free list on Reddit. So I went to a doctor and it, it actually turns out that she was the OB for my sister-in-law when she had her first child. Oh, um, funny. <laughs> so small world. Um, yeah. So I found her on the list and there wasn't a ton of information about her. And I was like, okay, well, she's in the office that I know is good because I have family members who have been to the office, not to her, except my okay. sister-in-law. I didn't know that at the time. So anyway, I went and I was expecting all kinds of pushback. I made a binder and yeah. had like a personal statement and some articles that I had highlighted and a couple of studies and all this stuff. And I took my binder and I was like, okay, she's on this list, but who knows? I'm going to bring this binder and I'm going to advocate for myself. And I was actually so worried that I made backup appointments with other doctors on the child-free list. It takes so long to get in to see one of them, at mm. least right now, I guess, that I didn't want to wait <laughs> another six months if she told me no. So anyway, right. I had these backup appointments even, but I should not have worried because I went in and she was like, well, why are you here? And I said, I want permanent birth control, I want a bilateral salpingectomy, which is what I ended up having, which means that you remove the entirety of the fallopian tube. So it's not like a tubal where they either like clip or cut or burn or whatever, like the fallopian tubes are taken out. And she was like, yeah, we can do that. You're going to do what you're going to do and we'll get you scheduled before you leave the office. And that wow. was it. And so I cannot recommend that list highly enough because without it, I don't think I would have had that smooth of an experience. Yeah. I got not a single bingo. It was just super simple. So um, I wish that all women had that experience yeah. because you hear so many stories about 35 year old women who are, you know, being told that it's a geriatric pregnancy now and they still will not do the procedure because you might change your mind or your imaginary future husband might want you to and therefore you should cave to his wishes I guess so yeah. I had a really smooth experience and I'm really grateful for that wow that's awesome so I guess from that appointment to then the actual procedure how long was that wait time yeah so I had my initial appointment late July and then I had the actual procedure the day after Labor Day so okay. it was about a month and a half. And I actually got the feeling I could have gotten in sooner. I got scheduled before I left the office. I didn't have to wait for anybody to call me or anything. Wow. So I was talking to the front desk lady and she was like, well, when do you want to get it done? And I said, well, I was hoping for September or October, expecting them to say something like, well, we can get you into December or January, just based on stuff I had heard. She was like, oh, no problem. Do you want the first one in September? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so I, I think I probably could have gotten it done in August just based on how she talked about it. But yeah, it was not a very long wait time. So. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. And then, you know, knowing that you had these fears around the medical, like the procedure and all that comes with going under, you know, having IVs and whatnot. How was that experience? How did all that go? So I was really nervous about it. I knew that yeah. it was important that I was going to get through it and be a big girl. But I literally 
a time or two woke up not like sobbing in tears but like teary because I had had a dream about the IV like that was the part that I was really fixated on was the blood draw on the IV so I had my pre-op appointment the week before they were going to draw blood and do labs and you know go over things with me and they gave me like a wash for my abdomen for pre-surgery and stuff like that and I, I told them I was so nervous and they had me lay down on a cot and they were like just look away and whatever so I looked at the wall and took really deep yoga breaths and got through it. And I left that appointment feeling like a boss. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, it was something that I had built up so much in my mind. Mm-hmm. And then to go and like conquer that fear, that was kind of the beginning of how empowering the whole experience was. Because Mm -hmm. I was like, I can do hard things when they're important to me. And getting through that blood draw, (laughs) which is maybe not a big deal for people, but I was like, I can do this. So I was not particularly nervous going into the actual procedure for that reason. Wow. That's so cool. And blood draws, I also feel are a big deal so (laughs) yeah well I was like as long as I don't cry or faint I'll be happy and I was actually pretty chill about it in the end yeah so um, that's awesome that's like a big mental victory because our minds are powerful and that fear and then the way that we can work ourselves up like I have passed out just getting stitches removed before because I like thought it was going to be horrible and my chin was numb. I actually couldn't feel it, but I passed out anyways. So (laughs) yeah. Oh, it had just been so long since I had had hardly anything medical done that I had built it up for years in my mind. (laughs) Right. So way to go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Way to get through it. (laughs) Yeah. I was, I was really proud of myself. (laughs) Yeah. Rightly so. How did, you know, the day of the procedure go and recovery? What was all that like for you? If, if you're willing to share. Oh, I'll probably overshare, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't care. So I was very fortunate that my surgery was first thing in the morning. So I didn't have any time to fret. I was supposed to be at the hospital at 630, which is a-okay with me because I didn't want to have to sit around being hungry forever because you're not supposed to eat. So we got to the hospital and it was actually very quick, like doctor's appointments and stuff seem to take you have to wait around forever right but they took me back and they weighed me and they did my you know blood pressure and blah 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 and I changed into a gown and everybody was just super nice to me Mm. um I guess they knew I was nervous like they had me fill out a little form at my pre-op I thought this was really funny because the form basically said at the top surgical outcomes are better when the surgical team feels more of a personal connection to the patient oh wow! so it was like tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us what you do for fun and what are you most nervous about and so I filled that out and I just kind of laughed because I was like, this is my remember I'm a person essay, <laughs> but yeah. I guess they did read it because they were like, oh, we heard you're nervous about the IV and the nurse was really sweet about it and actually gave me a lidocaine shot so that I wouldn't feel it. Mm. So they got me like all prepped and asked me 200,000 questions <laughs> and I had to, you know, sign this, the consent to sterilization and all this stuff. And then they, you know, started giving me anti-anxiety meds <laughs> through the IV and all this oh, stuff. Wow. I mean, they made every allowance for me. The other thing was the only surgery I'd had before that was my wisdom teeth and I was horribly nauseated and vomited a lot after that surgery so I told them that and they were like okay we're going to give you something through the IV and they had a patch to put behind my ear that also Mm. helped with nausea and they said I could keep that on and it would keep delivering whatever medication for 72 hours or something like that, which I had heard about from reading about people's experiences. The sterilization subreddit has a lot of firsthand accounts about bilateral self-injectomies. Anyway, and then they, you know, they got me all ready and wheeled me into the OR and the nurses were like holding my hands and they like had me. Uh, It was really sweet. Wow. Um, But they like gave me some oxygen and I don't really remember anything after that until I was waking up. 
and it was kind of like I had had a really excellent nap yeah I just woke up really slowly and was tired but no big deal and I kind of had some like menstrual cramp type sensations because they removed my IUD I think is mainly why oh interesting Uh, yeah but yeah but I I wasn't nauseated at all and one of the things that people talk about a lot is shoulder pain, which is not something you would think about, but it's because for a laparoscopic surgery, they put gas into your abdomen to inflate mm. it and like allow for more room to do what they need to do. Yeah. And that like travels up to your shoulders and okay. can cause pain as it dissipates. I didn't have any of that. I wasn't nauseated. There are a lot of people who talk about like kind of UTI type mm. symptoms afterwards too, because they do a catheter while you're under. I didn't have that. I went to the bathroom after I woke up and everything was fine. The main things I had the kind of crampy feelings and then they also intubate you while you're under and it wasn't painful, but I had kind of a tickly throat. Mm. Uh, so I was like coughing because it kind of abrades your throat. Yeah. But those were my two complaints and wow. they, well, they asked me to rate my pain and I was like two, like <laughs> it kind of bothers me but not too bad and actually the whole time I was recovering I probably wouldn't have rated surgery related pain any more than a three and I mean I've told people I've had random back pain that I would rate like a seven or an eight so like I had this this surgery and it was just kind of no big deal like it was hard the first nine or ten days because I felt good but if I did too much, like too much bending or stuff like that, I kind of had a feeling like a burning feeling in my mm. core, like kind of like I had just gotten done doing like 2000 sit-ups. Yeah. It was a little painful, but not crazy. But that's when I knew like, uh, I've got to go sit down and chill out again. Yeah. Um, by day 10, I noticed I was getting out of bed without feeling weird in my abdomen and stuff like that. And It'll be three weeks in three days. Oh, wow. The only thing that reminds me that I even had surgery is that like my incisions are visible. And sometimes if I wear like clothing that hits it at the wrong point, it kind of chafes. But honestly, it's been so easy. The incisions are kind of annoying because I have one kind of like at my bikini line and then they do one in your belly button and then I have one next to my belly button. So all of my clothes, except, you know, dresses hit at one of those two points, like one of those levels. (laughs) So I was like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do here. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it's been way easier than I thought. I just, for some reason, had this strong feeling that I was going to have a hard time of it. Yeah. Like just reading everybody's experiences. Like most people say it was unpleasant, but didn't last too long. And okay. I just kind of expected to have a worse time of it than average, but I really didn't. That's really awesome to hear. I'm so glad you had such a great experience too. Yeah. I hope that everyone who ever has that done has as easy of an experience as me because I had, I had a throat tickle for a day and I had to take it easy. And that was most of it, honestly. So. Yeah. Hey listeners. Are you looking to make more child-free connections in your life? I would love to invite you into a community I started for people without kids called We're Not Kidding the Club. It's a community on Mighty Networks, and it's been so fun to watch the connections and conversations taking place amongst the 150 members already inside the community, and we're just getting started. Next month, we're launching our first ever book club inside the community with people already getting their books and starting to read them right now. And there's more to come. To join us, go to wnk-club.com. That's wnk-club.com. We can't wait to see you. So then how did it shake out with insurance? Has that all come to pass yet? Or what's that looking like? So about a couple of weeks, maybe ahead of the surgery date, an estimate was available on yeah. my little patient portal. And nobody alerted me to that estimate, but I was stalking my portal. So I noticed it and I clicked on it. And the total cost of the surgery before insurance is about $24,000. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's a fun number. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it was very, so the, the estimate was like a range. It was like, you know, 22 to $26,000 was an average of 24. And it said your estimated cost $0. So I have a really good health insurance plan. I am very fortunate. I had already met my deductible and my maximum out of pocket. So hopefully it will be correct and I won't have to pay anything because it was in network. And I mean, there's always the possibility that there's an out of network anesthesiologist that pops up out of nowhere and maybe I'll have to do something like that. And I really hope not, but I also stock my insurance company's app and it'll show you the claims that have come through and whether they've been approved or are pending or whatever. And a couple of charges have showed up and they so far have gotten the little green check mark and say like you pay zero dollars. And so the bulk of it hasn't come through, but you know, so far so good. Yeah. Um, I also called my insurance company before I even went in for my consultation because insurance in the U.S. is just so weird anyway. So there's always the possibility for a surprise, but I did everything I could to not have a surprise. So I'll let you know. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. We'll follow up. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's really, that's really cool. And I hope that it continues to just be that little zero dollars because that's how it should be. (laughs) Oh yeah. So if you have an ACA compliant plan, they should cover, and I'm not an expert, so like, don't quote me anybody who's listening, but if you have an ACA compliant plan, they have to cover one form of female contraceptives. So some of them will do finagling where they're like a tubal is covered, but a bilateral salpingectomy is not. So there's some nuances that you have to ask about and be prepared for. Yeah. Um, So like removing the fallopian tubes completely is the gold standard at this point for female sterilization because you're not going to have recanalization and it reduces the chance of ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. as well. So I think now doctors use that as the standard, but some plans are kind of like behind the times and think that they shouldn't have to cover that and it should just be clamps or whatever. So every insurance plan, even within the same company is different, but yeah. Yeah. And I'm not an expert either, but I've heard that getting the code from your hospital that they'll be coding to insurance is also important to check Mm -hmm and then call your insurance and check it that way is another maybe helpful tidbit. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't been down this process yet myself. So I am also definitely not an expert on this at all. I'm just crossing my fingers at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I'm crossing mine for you as well. (laughs) (laughs) And also glad that everything just like the procedure itself went so smoothly for you. And that just was such a good experience. That's so awesome to hear. Yeah. Well, and I expected to be more ambivalent afterwards. I was prepared for a moment of what did I do? This is so permanent crisis kind of moment. Yeah. And that has not come yet. So far, it's just been really empowering, partly because, you know, I've taken control of my body and it's not reliant on anything external to protect me from an unwanted pregnancy. Also, I've I faced my medical fears and that's been really empowering. Yeah. And the whole thing has just been positive. And I've connected with people online about it. And there's kind of loosely a community of women going through, you know, my specific procedure and they reach out. And when I posted about it and say, you know, good luck. And I've had Mm. people check on me, including you (laughs) and which I find really sweet. And I have found the support from internet strangers has meant a lot more than like you would expect, you know? Yeah. In person, I've had good support too, but in the general public, it's not as much of a, an unambiguously positive thing. I haven't gotten this to my face, but I think people look at it and they're kind of like, that's kind of extreme, don't right. you think? Because <laughs> there are all these long-acting reversible contraceptives. Like, why don't you do that instead, instead of going through this whole surgery deal? Right. And I actually, I, I know I've told you this, but I still have not told my parents in particular. It was a hard decision for me to not tell them, but in the end, I kind of decided it was 
self-care to not add the potential stress of their reactions to also my anxiety about the surgery. And I thought I'm not asking their permission or advice or anything. And I'm not obligated to share that with them. So I decided not to. I don't know if I will. I haven't decided how to broach or if to broach that subject. Um, Yeah. I have told my brother. He was very supportive. He leans child-free too. And all my in-laws know pretty much. Uh, And they are very supportive, which is kind of funny because I hear so many people say, oh, my in-laws are like, you're taking away my grandchildren and all this stuff. But actually my mother-in-law and my grandmother-in-law sent me get well cards. Oh. And his grandmother actually included $10 in the card. <laughs> I was like, that's so sweet. I just can't. That um, is so sweet. That's the yeah. most like grandma thing ever. I love yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. She's really sweet. I love my in-laws and it was great to have their support. And like I said, one of my in-laws was the one who, one of the people who said, well, what's stopping you? And they've been really great. I've had a couple of friends who were like, let's go out and celebrate afterwards. And So I've had good support. I don't know how much of that is my being selective about telling people though. Yeah. And I really appreciate you sharing that because I think you make such an important distinction there to look at it as self-care, right? Because not everyone needs to know or deserves to know what your personal choices are. And if they can't handle it in a way that's going to like help you, then yeah, why bring that stress into this already stressful experience or, you know, beforehand stressful, you know, it seems like it actually all went awesome, but yeah, yeah, I think that that is such a great way to look at it as, as self-care and yes, you get to choose who you want to share these things with and saying that so that other people feel and know that they have the permission to do that as well, I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt conflicted and guilty still, (laughs) but it was just a boundary that I had to have. Yeah. And I don't feel guilty about it anymore. If they do, if I do tell them or they find out in some fashion, I'll deal with it then. But I think it was the right decision to not tell them beforehand anyway. It's funny because my husband actually had a vasectomy too. Oh, and I feel, I feel okay sharing that because he, he has been so open about it and just tells everybody. He doesn't care. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he was like telling people at work and like, whatever, just like, yep, I'm having a vasectomy. And (laughs) I think he thought it was kind of funny that I was more, I don't want to say secretive, but just more selective about it. But I think there's also a difference between men and women when it comes to that. Like, I think there's a lot more of a stigma with women. And maybe that's partly because vasectomies can potentially be reversed. Whereas I do not have fallopian tubes and you cannot put them back. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's interesting to have him go through that and see the differences, even though I had such a smooth experience compared to so many women. Mm -hmm. uh, There are still definitely differences. Right. Yeah. And did he have any barriers getting his? Not really. I went to his appointments with him. Yeah. And he didn't go to mine, but I went to his appointments with him and they kind of looked at me. They were like, you know, so you have children was something that one of them said. Uh And he said, my husband said, oh, no, we don't. We don't want them. And the doctor kind of did like a little bit of a double take and then was like, okay. All right. (laughs) And I was there going, no, no babies. (laughs) So it wasn't like they had to say, are you sure? Is your wife sure? I was like, no, we're both on board. And during my surgery, all the nurses and such were really, really nice to me. He did not have as much of like a white glove experience. And I won't go into detail on that, but they just weren't as accommodating. Mm. I think it's just much more like normal and People see it as such a non-invasive, no big deal kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, So like, I think my experience was, you know, everybody's like, oh, vasectomies are so much less invasive and they're easier. Mm -hmm. And between the two of you, he should get a vasectomy. But my experience was probably actually a little better than his. So. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah. And people do kind of look at us funny when they find out that both of us had the procedure done. And I don't really feel obligated to explain it to people. It's just, I mean, sometimes I go, oh, no babies for us. Like extra no babies. Yeah. 
but part of it was that we started talking about it when the Roe draft opinion came out, not when Roe was overturned, but the draft opinion beforehand. Yeah. And we were not sure if I would get approved because I was like, I wanted to get it done more strongly than he did. He was obviously mm-hmm. on board, but we weren't sure if I would be approved and he got in much, much quicker than me. So, you know, he got approved and that predated mine. So it was partly kind of just the timing thing that we both ended up getting sterilized. Yeah. But people do kind of go, why do you need to both (laughs) do that? But I think it's a lot of peace of mind because at this point, they would do studies on me, I think, if I managed to get pregnant. It wouldn't be like, (laughs) ah, you're on the bad end of statistics. It would be like, are you the Virgin Mary? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, I mean, tubals can reverse themselves, but like, bilateral self-injectomies like there's not a lot of room for that to to happen so I think I did read about one woman but it was like a news article and like all this stuff like this never ever happened she's a freak of nature kind of thing yeah so I am not worried because I don't know they say IUDs have the same protective rate as tubules but they are not from my understanding not as effective as actual removal of fallopian tubes (laughs) so I feel very protected (laughs) for obvious reasons yeah (laughs) (laughs) I'm really glad for that and glad that it's not something I have to worry about again Um, yeah I'm done and it's such a freeing feeling I was like laying in bed falling asleep one night I was like I never have to rely on birth control ever again my body is self-sufficient and yeah just such a good moment for me right I keep using the word empowering but it just really has been so it's felt great to exercise my bodily autonomy yeah have a body that functions the way I want it to, or, you know, doesn't function in a certain way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) One or the other. Yeah. Well, congrats and way to face your fears and be prepared for all the hurdles and challenges, like preparing that binder, preparing yourself mentally to get through your phobias. Like that's huge. And to come out the other side of it, just feeling empowered is so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I expected mixed feelings just because it's such a big deal and it's so permanent and I just haven't had crazy mixed feelings. I think it's perfectly normal to have those feelings. And a lot of women who are even adamantly child-free can have those feelings, but I just haven't. Yeah. That's a good sign. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I guess I'm curious too, like what inspired you to be so open about the process and like sharing it through the blog and through uh, Instagram and your stories, which is where I followed along. I really benefited from other people posting their experiences. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned our sterilization on Reddit and it's called sterilization, but almost everybody gets a bilateral self-injectomy on there. There are so many women who have it done and then they post, you know, these big paragraphs, long Reddit posts about the experience in like excruciating detail. And It helped me so much to prepare mentally and logistically, like picking up things that I might need to care for myself afterwards. Oh, yeah. And so part of it was I wanted to help other people who are going through it. And I just kind of enjoy sharing that kind of thing and thought it was something that made topical sense to share on my blog and Instagram. And like I said, I got so much support from internet strangers. I mean, even that alone was probably worth it, but, and it, I think it should also be normalized and not treated as this radical, you know, unnecessary choice that only crazy people make. Like I, I want it to be seen more as a positive thing. So I want people to be aware that it's an option and see it as a positive thing. And I mean, I think all of those things have happened. So I'm really glad that I've shared about it and happy to share about it here again. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for doing so. I guess if anyone listening is considering sterilization, but uncertain how to pursue it or where to even start, what encouragement or resources would you share with them? So encouragement. I hesitate to say I had a super experience. You should get sterilized for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Because 
there are all kinds of reasons that you might not want to get sterilized, even if you're very firmly child-free, whether it's the barriers or just not wanting to go through a medical procedure or whatever. But I would say don't not do it out of just pure fear. But as far as resources go, there is the sterilization subreddit helped me immensely. The child-free doctor list was obviously instrumental to my having such a smooth experience. And then when I made the ultimately unnecessary binder, which some people do end up needing to use to convince a doctor, there is a build a binder website that gives you, it doesn't, it's not like you print the whole thing out and as is, and it just gives you ideas of elements to include and shows examples and that sort of thing. So I used that to make my binder, which ultimately I just am going to keep as like a reminder of my thought process, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'll just put it on the shelf with my journals and call it a day. But (laughs) that website I think is really useful. I think it was useful for me to go through the process of making that binder if only because it helped me think about my reasons and really consider what it entailed and why it was worth it. Mm. Uh, One of the things that I found really interesting is there have been studies about regret with female sterilization. And one of them, they did a study on regret and said that women under 30 were more likely to regret it than women over 30. But the rate of regret based on age was the same for women who had never given birth. Mm. So whether you were under 30 or over 30, if you had never given birth, you were not very likely to regret it. It was more likely to be women who had had at least one child and got sterilized and then regretted it because they wish they had had more children, which I thought was super interesting. Yeah, I said that to somebody. They were like, it's because you don't know what you're missing. (laughs) But (laughs) I think that, yeah, I know. (laughs) I was like, um... (laughs) We don't know what we're missing in that we have never had that direct exact experience, but people are capable of imagining and empathizing and I've seen people parent and I haven't had that exact experience. That is correct, but I can imagine it. So I don't know if we don't know what parenting is about at all. Like, we just can't conceive of it. Apparently, we have no imagination. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's an interesting study because I have wondered, and I haven't looked into it much myself, like I wondered where that strong, you know, it seems like doctors come at you with the like, not wanting you to get it in case you regret it which does seem rooted in something hopefully other than just like pronatalism. So it, it is interesting to hear that there have been studies and that it, yeah, it doesn't really affect people who've never had kids. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting to read, but yeah, it, it drives me crazy that so many doctors will say you might regret it. So I'm not going to let you do it. Right. Like, I'm an adult and there's the possibility to regret just about anything. Mm-hmm. And we have to live with that as adults who are responsible for our own choices. Exactly. We should be allowed to exercise our bodily autonomy and it's really none of their business. Right. Like I've seen people too talking about the, what about your spouse's opinion issue, which my opinion is it should not matter what your spouse thinks because they are not in control of your body. Somebody in a comment on Instagram, not on one of my posts, said, well, it should be a mutual decision because it affects them as well. And I think in a healthy relationship, you disclose this and discuss it, but ultimately it's your choice and the doctor is not your marriage counselor. And there's no reason for them to say, oh, you in order to have a good relationship, you should do what your partner wants. Yeah. You're a, you're a medical doctor dealing with my body and my body is mine and it doesn't matter what anybody yeah. else thinks ultimately. So that argument just drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It's even better when it's a person that you haven't met who might not <laughs> exist. Right. Like your future husband might want kids like I belong to a man that I haven't even met who might not exist yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah it gets Uh, me actually this might be a good time to say we're planning to do another episode with Zoe and another woman who 
has, they've both gone through the sterilization process and do sort of like a Q and A with them. So if anyone has questions about any part of Zoe's experience or her sterilization process, please send in questions to the podcast. You can do so either through the anchor website for the podcast, which I'll put in the show notes or email me at Anna at AnnaOlson.com. You can submit typed questions there or use the anchor to, to do voice memos, uh, questions that we can use on the podcast. So, which also a big thank you. This would be really, really fun if, if people submit questions and, and do a Q and a with you and, and Kai, the other woman who's going to come share her story in a solo episode and then have you both on to do some yeah. Q and a. Yeah. I'd be really excited to do that. And there are very few questions that would probably be too personal for me. I'm probably yeah. more prone to oversharing than secrecy. The exception of that is when it has something to do with someone else's life that I think they might want to keep private. But as far as my own experience, I'm perhaps overly open, but <laughs> I'd be excited to answer any questions. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you so much for this conversation. I feel like this is such a gift and especially as someone who is myself contemplating the procedure, but have felt, I also like you have um, some medical phobias, getting blood drawn is is hard. It's so hard. (laughs) (laughs) But I I do it. (laughs) I get through it. But yeah, it's always like a mental hurdle. So anyways, just to hear, especially for me, it's comforting to hear someone else who relates on that level uh, go through this experience. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. It's been like I've been saying, it's just been such an overwhelmingly positive experience in such a surprising way. I know not not everybody has this crazy smooth ride that I did, but I hope that my story kind of at least demystifies it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I would be happy to go into as much detail as people want pretty much. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And how can people connect with you after hearing this episode? So I am on Instagram as not kidding blog and I am open to DMs. I actually had a student at BYU reach out to me because she had a class that encouraged her to reach out to somebody online who had opposing opinions. So she reached out and said, oh, you had a hashtag on one of your posts that said pro-choice. Also, you got sterilized. Can you talk to me about that? And I was like, sure. So, (laughs) So I told her about that. So even people who disagree with me I'm usually if they're respectful willing to engage with that so wow that's super interesting cool yeah I was it was not the dm I was expecting no okay (laughs) (laughs) but like I guess that's kind of cool yeah she may have gone back to her classmates and told them how horrible I am or something but I don't care (laughs) she was respectful to me she can say whatever she wants (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Way to be open to conversations like that. I think that's how hopefully like change actually can happen when we are curious and can have respectful conversations with people who don't think like us. Well, thank you so much, Zoe. As always, it's a pleasure speaking with you. And I'm so grateful to have named our child-free content similar things so that we could connect. It's been uh, really fun to get to know you. And um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, I've listened to so many episodes and I'm really excited to be able to contribute. Thank you. I'll catch you next time.